Well, first of all, uh, thank you, uh, Fabien, and um, and uh, and Matt and Paul for uh, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's uh, it's been a long time since we had a glass of wine together. I hope we can do it again soon. Um, my story with Adeg actually starts in 2005 uh, on a holiday in London, where I was reading a book called uh, The Long Tail, and the book uh, of the, the Long Tail book actually explains uh, how the internet changed the world of, of movies and the world of uh, of music. And for some reason that I still don't know why I thought about it, um, I, I was not a, a fan of wine. I didn't dislike wine. I just didn't drink wine. Uh, but for some reason, I thought that the internet could do the same thing for um, for wine. And what happened back in 2005 was that being a, a computer science engineer, uh, I thought uh, maybe I can do something about it and decided to start playing around uh, with programming. Uh, at the time, you can imagine uh, it was the start of some of the social networks. And so Adega became uh, one of the first two social networks in wine around the world. And and. What, what happened at that time was that we're, we were basically trying to discover how to get people to get interested in wine and to exchange wine opinions with each other. And, and we were doing that uh, based in Portugal. And we had at the time, the, the, the site was in seven different languages. And we, have, we had a community around the world that was discussed. There, was, uh, there were discussing wines, not just Portuguese wines, but actually wines from around the world. We're still in touch with some of those members of the community at that time. And some of the people are here in the group. Uh, and so we started as a, as a tech idea. Uh, but of course, then I found out why people love wine. Uh, I, I, I fell in love with wine. Um, I'm, I, you can say I'm a wine geek now. Uh, I, I love wine. But more than loving wine, I'm, I'm actually interested in understanding uh, what we can do with technology and with digital to try to get more people to not only get closer to wine, get closer to the wineries, but how technology can help bridge those two. So thank you very much, Andre. So can you resume in just five minutes, just to keep the format to your hour? Uh, what are you doing with Adega today and what you used to do until COVID came? And So uh, Adega in 2005 was started as a social network, as I said. And until 2009, we were trying to get the, 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 the social network to work. And we found out that people were, uh, some people were very interested in sharing opinions about wine. Many other people were not very interested in sharing their opinion about wine. They wanted to learn more, but they didn't want to share an opinion. And so in 2009, Adega started a new, um, a new project. We found out that we had a community, uh, but the community was not interacting that much. So one of the things we decided to do was start a wine event. But we didn't. We looked at other events that were already happening at that time, and at that time, and then we saw that, of course, the wine fairs were were even bigger uh, than they are today. So, so some of the bigger wine wine fairs in Portugal had had been going for many years. And what we decided to look was, we decided to try to understand what would make a better wine fair. And so we came up with this concept of an Adega wine market, where what we had were so all the producers that were at the event were in their own individual tables, as you now see around the world uh, happening quite often. One of the things that we did at the time was, for example, that we, we asked people to be in front of their tables instead of behind the table. So we wanted consumers to get closer to the people that were showing the wines. And the other thing was that uh, for, the, for, the, for the first time, we, we, we did this event where all the wines that were being tasted at the event were also available uh, to be bought uh, first 
at the event and then a few years later we decided to have an online platform where people could acquire those wines easily and and receive them at home um comfortably but then last year as we all know uh um, the pandemic hit and we 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 get we got to think as a team uh, me and my two partners decided to think what can we do uh what what it what is next for Adega? There was, of course, we were thinking that uh, maybe by the end of the year we might do an event. Uh, we didn't know that we wouldn't be able to do an event maybe for one year, maybe for two years. We still don't know when we can go back to doing events. And even if we do events, we don't know what kind of event we can be doing then. Uh, but we had some pieces of the puzzle of what we, we, we wanted Adega to be one day. And so on the 1st of April last year, we decided to launch the Adega Marketplace. Uh, which uh, is is a wine marketplace. So we help producers sell wine to consumers uh, and we're about to reach 200 uh, wine producers on the platform. And we sell a few thousand uh, um, bottles of wine every month and basically bring these two sites together like we did at the Adega Wine Market, but now uh, with, the, uh, with the digital platform. Thank you very much. It was perfect in timing. Uh, I have a question along your new platform was it easy for you to find good logistic partner in portugal and about the pricing you fix it yourself directly with the producer like you used to do for the wine market or so what we do for two different things right so one of the things is about the pricing uh the way we work is we work as a service for the wineries and so we help them with marketing, we help them with, with positioning, we help them with communicating what they're doing online. Uh, uh, but the prices on the marketplace, as a marketplace, are defined by them, are recommended by them. This is the price that I want to sell my wine. Uh, what we might do is we might, um, uh, we might give them best practices on things that work and things that don't work on the marketplace. And so try to guide them in the direction that they can sell more wine, which is, of course, the goal. Um, in regards to logistics, uh, we started doing logistics with the, with the producer. We don't do logistics ourselves. So as a marketplace, we, we, we recommend things that each of the wineries can do to sell on the marketplace. We can recommend systems. We can tell them where to buy some of the materials that they need to ship the wines. Uh, but at the moment, they take care of, of most of the logistics. One of the things that we are uh, we are in the process of doing is, of course, because now we have buying power, we have a, um, a community that exchanges wines. Um, what we can do is we can talk to the transportation companies and try to get a better deal because we can tell them, hey, do you want to have the business of, of, of logistics from all the producers that are shipping wine in our marketplace? Uh, we can do a deal there and, and, and get better prices for them to start shipping wine cheaper. Perfect. Thank you very much. So now I think with Matthew and Paul, we're going to start firing up question about wine because we're here yeah. also to hear you talking about Portuguese wines, regions and varieties. You want to jump Let's in first, Matthew? Let's reset the room. We have new people coming in. We're with Andre Viverinho. Viverinho, sorry, my Portuguese is terrible. That's perfect. That's perfect, Matt. <laughs> uh, talking about Portuguese wine, he's the correspondent to... Hugh Johnson's pocketbook, a guide to wines, and also um, has is also a specialist in terms of creating consumer events. Paul, let's let's switch to Portuguese wine. Why don't you go ahead and ask the first question? Ah, okay, Andre. Hello. Oh, I missed that accent. <laughs> oh, indeed. Stop making me blush. Um, 
Well, actually, before before I just fire some Portuguese wine questions at you, I'm, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to just stay on the tech um, yes, for, for a moment because, um, and I'm sure Matt will forgive me for for uh, rebelling, but I'm re I'm really interested in in the way you see this whole space at the moment because it seems to me like w while you were like really ahead of the curve, there's a lot of people setting up these kind of marketplace um solutions you know with a real focus on positioning the top wineries and i know obviously you, you do this kind of um selection process based on the based on your your events and the you know your kind of your take on on who is making good wines but do you think the old model of like you know retailers and distributors is is dead as more and more people focus their attention on, on this space not at all. I don't think marketplaces or new tools are going to replace the old ones. Or I think they're going to coexist. There's there's a ton of value on on having uh, local wine shops that that cater to a specific neighborhood or a specific city. Um, there's a ton of value on having um, you know national retailers that can do the work of distributing small producers and big producers. Uh, what I think is that. Um, something that was already happening but of course covid um pushed that trend uh to to grow much faster was the idea that a producer can interact and maybe sell wine to their consumers directly and the idea that the reason I, I i split these two things is because a producer can do direct communication without sales and they can do sales without communication but the whole idea that now because we have digital channels that that producers can reach consumers and tell their story and 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 tell to to basically to explain what they're doing in a way and and of course not just in in one direction but but the other direction too so that consumers can tell producers what they want what they're interested in and then maybe do a transaction if that makes sense i don't see, i see that as something that adds value to the market not as a total replacement to what was happening before of course uh, something that is happening with with the, for example a marketplace is that it's making it very easy for producers to be uh, on on what is called the digital shelf so, so maybe in the past some producers were fighting to find a place on the supermarket shelf or on the on the local um, uh, wine shop shelf and now uh, the most important thing of course online is is something called the, the digital shelf what you want to do there is make sure your wine is visible on all the different places and yes you need to be listed on vivinu you need to be listed on google when people search for your name and and it doesn't it doesn't mean that you're only going to and, and, and of course, if, you ha if you're on a marketplace, it's much easier to do that because the marketplace will do that for you. But, but definitely, you should, you should also have your own channels if you have the means and, and the willingness to do that too. And, and of course, that's important. You should have your own channel. And your own channel is, in a way, a competitor to all the other channels, but also uh, a place that helps consumers be aware of you. So more than competing between all these channels, they're actually raising aware to more producers and to more wines and to more news. And maybe we all, we're all consumers and we all know that maybe some wines we buy online, some other wines we buy on the grocery shop, some other wines we buy somewhere else. We are like, like every consumer, we don't have only one channel where we buy our wines. We buy our wines from several different sources and i think that's going to continue paul i'm going to switch the conversation of portuguese wine okay um, fine just, 
just uh, just letting everybody know if they do have questions, we're gonna we're going to have some Q and A and bring a couple people in. Uh, so we're gonna try to keep Andre. We're gonna respect Andre's time, and we're gonna keep this within sixty minutes. Andre, let's uh, let's talk about Portuguese wine grapes. Uh, what are the kind of great? I know Portuguese Portugal is so rich in indigenous wine grapes. Can you tell? Can you share with the audience which grapes they should look for and what they can expect out of them? So, as a context, uh, Portugal is is one of the one of the, the countries in the world that has one of the largest um, uh, uses of, of uh, or number of, of grapes that are being used. So, maybe in par with uh, with with a country like Italy, Portugal actually has around two hundred fifty varieties that are being used um, at the moment. Uh, one of the things that we've seen, uh, of course, there's a number of them that are more well known, and I'll share a few uh, in a, in a few seconds. But, but it's interesting to see a trend that has been happening um, in the last 10 years where maybe initially uh, many producers were blending those varieties with some international varieties and, and more well-known varieties. Uh, but what we've been seeing in the, last, in the last 10 years is that producers feel more confident to present their Portuguese-based, their, their wines based with Portuguese varieties that they can show the world and they can show how different uh, these wines can be compared to other other wines around the world, and also the other thing is that um, some of these varieties are used throughout Portugal, uh, but some other varieties are confined to a specific wine region, and and it, it it's it's both um, it's bo- both a blessing and a challenge, of course, in terms of communication to communicate all these different uh, uh, varieties. But it's really exciting when you start digging in, and and maybe uh, one of the messages that you can take away from, from, from this topic is that maybe pick two or three and then try to understand what's going on and who are the producers in the regions that are, that are working on. So let's start with, with some of the whites. Um, maybe one of the more well-known ones, also because our neighbor Spain uh, works with it too a lot, is a variety called Alvarinho. Uh, and many of the producers, uh, many of the people uh, discovering Portuguese wine around the world They've they've probably tried some vinho verde, and uh, and often vinho verde is made with alvarinho, and that's the main region that that is making alvarinho in Portugal. And uh, and and the other thing about about vinho verde is that there's a specific subregion in vinho verde called uh, Monção e Melgaço, where you can find um, uh, often better quality, higher end kind of white based on alvarinho. And what you can find in Alvarinho is all the uh, the freshness and all the flavors uh, that make uh, that make this white variety so uh, so exciting. And of course, in Portugal, being near to the sea, this is exactly the kind of wines that were that you're looking for when you want to match them with seafood and and grilled fish and all this uh, kind of Mediterranean food that we consume in Portugal. And I'm sure many of you are like like of course. You can also have that with a with a light pasta or something that that, that pairs well with this kind of high acidity wines. Uh, but but they're not not all of them are that light, so they they really pair well with this with these kind of dishes. Um, what else? One of the most planted white varieties in Portugal is called Arinto, and Arinto is is one of the most exciting uh, wine varieties in Portugal. It is used as it often happens in Portugal. It is used not only in uh, in um, in 100% Arinto-based uh, wines, but also in blends 
Portugal is well known for being a country that works a lot with blends. And so often you'll find blends of Arinto and other varieties uh, around regions in Portugal. Arinto also is one of the, is one of the varieties that you can find all, all through Portugal, uh, quite, quite well spread. Uh, every region has a, a different uh, take on Arinto, but it's, uh, it's quite a consistent uh, style of, of variety. And, and it's also a variety that, uh, that is known to age really well. So you can drink whites uh, with, with the number of years uh, of aging and you'll still, you'll still find all the characters of, of this variety. Um, and, and, of, and of course, producers love it and consumers love it too. Let's see. Oh, my favorite. Um, I would say my favorite Portuguese white variety is called Encruzado. Uh, some, some of these varieties are really tough to pronounce. Uh, but if, if, if you think of some of the gewurztraminers of the world, uh, you'll find with the, you'll find out that with the, with the, with some, some habituation, you can, you can start pronouncing them. You can find online, uh, Google, for example, helps you, uh, pronounce some of these varieties with the, with an audio file that you can play and you can, you can listen to how they're normally pronounced. So Encruzado is, um, is more well known. It's native to the, the region of Daum. Uh, a region that goes from from the middle of Portugal up to uh, almost up to Spain, uh, and it's one of the most interesting varieties because again, uh, it can be um, at the same time it's a variety that that ages really well, uh, but it's also a variety that makes these uh, elegant, well balanced, and sometimes full bodied whites, uh, and you can find really good. Uh, uh, Encruzado based wines from the entry level ranges to fine wine category kind of kind of wines. Um, have have you guys tasted any of these? All of them. I've never had a bad Encruzado. It's probably my favorite Portuguese white grape. It's it's really good, and you can find them uh, again. You can find them mostly in the dome, uh, but some producers are now exploring uh, how to work with Encruzado in other regions. But it it it, it grows so well. Uh, in the in the conditions that the, a region like Dao has, that it that it really the kind of the quality of the wines uh, of a white wine that you can get in the Dao um, uh, uh, Encruzado is is very special. Um, maybe we we I can select some of the some of the red uh, varieties now. Um, let me see. Of course, um, Baga. Go go go. Before you go to Reds, just letting you know, Paul's going to have a question, and we're going to start pulling people up to the stage. Okay. If you have a question. Uh, let us know, but first let's go with uh, let's go with your red grape suggestions, and then go with Paul. So I'll pick again. I'll pick three different uh, varieties. Uh, let's start with Baga. Uh, Baga is one of the um, one of the varieties that is mostly used uh, in one region called Bayrada. It's a seaside Atlantic influenced kind of region. It it, it produces this kind of um, tannic reds. Uh, there sometimes they can be quite astringent in youth. Some producers are now making them less astringent and, of course, more drinkable when they are um, young. But then they have um, an ability to age that is unheard of uh, uh, generally in Portugal and makes some of the most beautiful wines in Portugal. Also, it's one of the easiest uh, to pronounce, Baga, it's B-A-G-A. Uh, and if you want to start digging in into Portuguese red wine, try to look for for some baga. Of course, this this comes from a region that is also known from for its uh, suckling pig. And so, if you can find some baga and pair with some uh, some uh, some, ro some roasted pig, uh, I'm sure you'll have a great time with that. Let's see what else. Of course, the I would say the more well known now planted in 
many places around the world, including now uh, permitted to plant in Bordeaux, uh, the well-known Toriga Nacional. Uh, I have to confess, much to the dismay of many of my um, countrymen, that Toriga Nacional is not one of my favorite uh, varieties. I'm not, a, not, not very fond of Toriga Nacional. I do think it makes some very uh, interesting wines, uh, but, uh, but very rarely uh, I get a Toriga Nacional that is one of the most exciting wines I've ever had. Uh, but it is one of the most planted. Uh, it's really well known. Uh, they're very aromatic kind of wines. Um, and and they're, they, it also makes, makes these kind of wines that has, you know, the fruit is in the right place and the tannins are in the right place. And, and it's so, um, it's now so, so many producers in Portugal have 100% Toriga Nacional that, uh, that if you want, again, to try to understand Portuguese wine and get, dig into Portuguese wine, maybe try uh, one of these varieties and see, and see how you find the different regions make this variety. And all the regions have Toriga Nacional at the moment. Uh, one last one. Uh, maybe not so obvious, uh, but I think it's uh, where some of the most exciting wines are coming right now. Um, Castelão. And uh, Castelão was, was a variety that was used, um, it's, it's being used for, for many years, and it was, it was mainly used in a, in a region uh, like uh, Setúbal, just south of Lisbon. What has happened in, in, in the last five years, maybe ten years, is that a number of producers have starting along along the seaside uh, from Setúbal, maybe south of Setúbal, even to the seaside part of the wine region Alentejo, Setúbal, and then Lisbon. Lisbon, of course, is the capital of Portugal, but it's also the name of the region that goes from Lisbon up to uh, uh, maybe 200, 200 kilometers, all, always seaside. Uh, and what you can find in Lisbon is that you have this um, this well, cooler climate style of wines, of course, uh, heavily Atlantic influence. And so you have this lighter colored, lighter wines, but very good fruit, very good tannins uh, that, you, that you get. The very elegant style of wines of Castellon that you can find from Lisboa. I'm, I'm a, a big fan of Lisboa wines. They're not the most popular in Portugal, but I think that's one of the regions where you can find where you can find some of the best values there. And so I would recommend Castellon. And of course, being 250 varieties, we can be here all day talking about the Portuguese varieties. If you have any variety that you'd like to ask about, please. So yes, go ahead, please. Uh, now we're gonna go with Paul, uh, and then yeah. Sterry later. If you want to jump on the stage, feel free to raise your hand. We will bring you up. When you come on stage, make sure to close down your mic because your mic is hot. And now we go with Paul. Thank you. Cheers, Andre. You've absolutely rattled through um, through dozens of, uh, of uh, key pieces of information there. I think, we, as you say, we could be here all day going into any one of those. But I remember back in 2013, I came to one of your events in Lisbon, and I remember you had a, you had a room open um, where you showcased uh, sort of um, like a vertical of a number of different maybe premium wines. Uh, one of those was something you've already mentioned, Alvarinho, and and from the um, the subzones that you mentioned. Uh, was it um, Sualheiro? Sualheiro, yes. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask about that, really. When I first got into wine, Portugal, certainly in, in, in international markets, was considered a, a source of kind of good, easy drinking, quite inexpensive wine. Um, but now that people have had a chance to kind of um, you know, really explore Portugal and, and dig into some of the top estates. Are you seeing 
more of a focus on premium wines that have like a number of vintages to them that that consumers can kind of you know follow like like cult wines almost yeah definitely um and and vino verde is one of region one of the regions where you see that most dramatic change um where where maybe most of the world drinks um, um affordable or cheap uh crispy um quite enjoyable um uh, white wines made in the region of Vigno Verde and blending uh, varieties as Alvarinho and others. And, and that made the name Vigno Verde well-known around the world. Many others are finding um, uh, that, that they can drink um, uh, Vigno Verde that is more premium, that is more at the higher quality, more, even more enjoyable. And of course, the, the wineries have followed that trend. They found out they can, more than just being a great Vigno Verde, they can, they can make a great Portuguese white wine that happens to be from the Vigno Verde wine region. And so you see, and especially uh, uh, some of these wines, not just from, from that sub-region, but that sub-region has been um, the main uh, driver of, of premium wines in that area. And when I say premium, higher quality wines, if you want. Uh, and it's called, um, I call it M&M. Uh, but it's Monson and Melgasso. M and M is just uh, it's just easier to pronounce. Uh, and that region, because it's located, um, uh, it's protected with the mountains. Uh, the mountains protected from from the the Atlantic uh, winds, and they get some also some warm warm uh, winds coming from 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 Europe. And so it happens to make wines that have um, uh, higher uh, maturity than than the wines from the rest of the the very wet uh, region. And so what happens is that you have higher quality wines and then producers are moving in. Of course, Alvarinho nowadays is very expensive. So the price per kilo is, is, is going up every year. Uh, but the kind of wines that you can try on that, on that region now, uh, the kind of whites, some of them already working with, uh, with, with amphorous too. So they're trying to, to try different things. Amphorous used to be, of course, uh, uh, based in uh, Alentejo. The, the Talia wine is a 2000 year um, uh, tradition in the region, but now other other regions around um, other uh, regions are playing with uh, with amphora. And of course, as many of you know, what you what you get with amphora is that you get some of the aging, um, some of the evolution, but you don't have the, the the oakiness that you get, of course, from fermenting and aging in in oak barrels. And so it's really interesting what's what's coming out of that region. Of course, you have you still have the biggest part of that region. It's still uh, this this Vigno Verde uh, that I mentioned early, but it's really exciting to see. Uh, that happening in uh, in Vinho Verde, but of course, any other region in Portugal now is is playing around, uh, not just with the wines that were being made before, but of course with higher high, higher end, um, sometimes a hundred percent autochthonous varieties. Uh, for example, Bastardo in the Douro is uh, is a variety that is is uh, as many of you know uh, is uh, is called. Uh, and Jura is known as Trousseau. It's exactly the same variety, but of course, in the very hot region of Douro, uh, it, uh, it, uh, it evolves in a different in way in a different way in the vineyard. Not every year is, uh, is, is, is easy to do uh, Bastardo, but the years that you have Bastardo, uh, many of the wineries in that region have been working with making uh, very, very exciting uh, lighter style wines that you can have to, in comparison to maybe some of the um, the highly concentrated, you know, lots of fruit that you have some other producers in the Douro. 
again, we're all always talking about quality. And maybe in the past, we all these blends also from the tradition that we had in port of doing blends. Uh, maybe we had all the, the so, so wines would be more concentrated. And that was a style that was spread out through Portugal. Now producers feel um, feel more comfortable with exploring different styles and lighter alcohol, lighter styles of, of Portuguese uh, wine that sometimes show the terroir in a different way than, than these other wines are very exciting. And it's a, it's a big trend in Portugal at the moment. Thank you very much, Andre. You go too deep always. It's crazy. You got so much knowledge. So now we're going to go with uh, Siri. Uh, may Hi. you introduce yourself briefly. I'm just going to ask you quickly. We are trying to record a bit because some people cannot be here. So is it okay for you if you're on the audio? Absolutely. Thank you very much. Go. Hello. Uh, my name is Sari Osmania and I'm a huge fan of Portugal. Um, I, um, I spent some time in Portugal, so I'm quite familiar with the Douro region, Alentejo, Dao, and all of that. And I used to promote the wines in the States going a few years back, and I always said that if you like California wines, you just have to explore Portugal a little bit because you will find the equivalent of what you want there with the quality for a lot less money. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but uh, I live in California, but it's true. And this was at the height of when the Douro was starting to become... Uh, a bit more famous, and um, I had a chance to work with a lot of the different producers there. From uh, I worked with Sograps, I worked with Crashto, Nuval, Newport, and uh, you mentioned the the use of amphora, um, Andre. I'm always interested because I remember going back that Dirk Newport was doing a lot of really crazy, fun, experimental things in the Douro, almost uh, taking sometimes a more Burgundian route to his. Uh, To, to his wines uh, and what he was what he was doing. So I'm curious to know who are some of the other um, winemakers that are now uh, more focused on, uh, as you say, a little bit more terroir and a uh, little less focus on the alcohol and uh, who's, who's, who's doing innovative things. So that's the first part of my question. And the second part that I'd love to talk about is, you know, in California, when we talk about old vines, our old vines here, they really like 15, 20, 30 years old for a lot of people, whereas in the Doro, as you know, I mean, they're, they can be 100 years old. So uh, could you speak a little bit to that? Well, thank, thank you very much for the question. Uh, thank you also for promoting wine uh, all those years. I actually have a question for you, and that might help us get to, to, to the points that you, uh, that, to the questions, to answer the questions that you, uh, that you asked. Sure. Uh, Because you lived in the two different, two, the two places, so in the two west coasts, let's put it that way. Uh, what do you think are the the two or the three most obvious differences between California and and Portugal? What would you say are the those differences? You mean the difference in the wines itself? Yes. Well, I think I I would say that um, the field blends uh, that you have are more to me, have more have more depth and more interesting because of the aged vines again. And then uh, we don't have that. And then, you know, because you have the the you have the the, the lime the limestone and the and the, and the chalk, uh, which we don't really have a lot of in California. Um, so that has a lot to, that that I think is also one of the key factors. I feel like um, uh, the schist, I guess, is what I'm trying to use, is the word I'm trying to find. Sorry, it's been a while. <laughs> um, so I think that these factors, and um, yeah, of course, very strict rules, like in the door, you can't, correct me if I'm wrong, you can't, you can't irrigate as you want to, uh, you know, forcing the vines to work harder. 
I think these all come through in the quality of the wines in the bottle. I think in California, we are, um, it's starting to change also. So similarities is there, the wines tend to be in, in Napa. I'm sure you've had Napa wines, you know, they're bigger, they're fruit forward. Yes. That appears to be the style. Um, I personally prefer the Napa wines when they were made with a little less alcohol. I'm going back to the great Mondavis of 70s, 80s, as opposed to the, you know, the, the bigger style wines that to me, you almost can't even pair with food anymore. So there's a, there, the, the similarity I would say is that if you want a fruit forward wine, okay, so Dora wines, great, you know, they, they deliver there. Um, so that's, that's a similarity, um, higher alcohol as well, uh, if, if you want it that way. But, uh, I, you know, I draw the distinction. Uh, so those are the similarities. And I draw the distinction with uh, a few of the factors that I mentioned with the schist. And I think just more of the, the vineyard, you know, the vineyard, the wines being made from the vineyard, if you will. Um, I think there's more, there's more, more of a distinct difference there in, in the glass of wine, my personal opinion. Thank you very much. So picking that's that's great information. It's, it's really exciting to try to understand the differences between the two regions. Uh, one of the things is picking up on your um, on your question about the, the old vines. One of the things that is uh, that that has been not so well defined in Portugal is what is an old vine. Even in Portugal, uh, some people say vinhas velhas, so old vines in Portuguese. Uh, they might say in the in the Douro that might mean eighty to one hundred and twenty uh, years old vines. But in the Alentejo, some producers might actually use that for thirty to uh, thirty five year old vines. And so one of the things that I can say is happening right now, there, there's discussion happening on actually trying to uh, make that uh, law that when you say vinhas velhas, uh, they actually need, need to come from vines that are X numbers of years old. And so it can't, it won't, it, it, the, the use of, of, the, of that, um, uh, of that name vinhas velhas is going to be regulated in the future. And so we'll see more, it, it will allow us to, of course, to communicate what is old vines uh, more precisely. And, and who would you say are some of the uh, more um, exploratory winemakers, kind of like what Dirk was doing or is doing? So, so Dirk, Dirk, of course, is uh, is is uh, is someone who doesn't know how to play uh, inside the lines, um, and I don't mean that in the bad way. I, I mean that in the good way. He likes to do things that he thinks are better, and and often they are. And he's playing, of course, with he's he continues to do uh, what what you said, and I agree, Burgundian style of wines in the region, which were very controversial in the beginning, and now you see more producers playing around with that with that style. Dirk is also making wines in a in a nearby winery where he's also consulting there and 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 he's making some of the things that he didn't even play around with in his own winery. He's now uh, playing around in this other winery and it's called Maria Isabel. So Quinta Maria Isabel, and Maria Isabel has one of, one of the wines. For example, again, he they, they work with Bastardo. Um, and and they make this kind of Burgundian wine. Their high higher end wines are made with uh, with this, um, and they're spectacular in the way that they show Doru uh, uh, in a, in a different perspective. Uh, another producer uh, working with um, with old vines to to produce this kind of more elegant uh, style of wines is is a producer called Nicolau de Almeida. Uh, is actually uh, this is actually a well known name. The, the very famous um, 
I, I would say the, the most iconic Portuguese wine, uh, Barca Velha, uh, was made by the, uh, the grandfather of, of the guy who now runs this, his own winery with his uh, uh, children, and it's called Nicolau da Almeida. And he's, he's making also some, some wines. Uh, he just launched a new wine that, that goes on the same line. Uh, and many other younger producers uh, are, are doing that and are doing also playing around uh, a, a little bit with natural and biodynamic. There's a number of young winemakers uh, trying to do it different than most of the other people are doing. And it's really exciting to see and, of course, to taste. Uh, Andre, it would be fun to take a bottle of Barcavella and do sort of a side-by-side tasting with some Napa wines. And I think Pedro Dalmeda is also, who is with Carasto, is I think they're all related, no? Um, um, Pedro Dalmeida, I think uh, he, he works for Carasto. He is uh, part of the, if, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he's part of the sales team. Carasto is, is a company, of course, that works with uh, exquisitely with old vines. Uh, they, don't do, they don't do a lot of this more elegant style. They do a different style, but they're very successful. And, and they've been uh, one of the innovators in terms of studying the old vines. They've, they've, they've done uh, plenty of research and trying to understand uh, how many different varieties are actually uh, in a 120-year-old in a field blend. And sometimes they found that, uh, that when, they do a, a, when they actually do a wine made of a, a field blend, they found it actually includes uh, over 40 different autochthonous varieties. And, and that's where some of the richness that you mentioned, some of that depth that you mentioned comes from. It's, it's, it's an impressive uh, work. Thank you very much, Andres. Thank you very much, Siri. Siri, we're going to move you to the lower panel. So you're going to be probably in the followed by the speakers. Now we're going to well open up to more questions. So if you have any question for Andre, feel free to raise your hand and come on stage with us. We'll be happy to have you. Now we're going to have Mark, which is actually from Portugal. Uh, and Mark, uh, if you have any question or tip or if you want to put something uh, in front, do you mind if I record you? Because we are trying to make a little audio recording for the people who are not here. M- Mark? Mark? Hi, Fabian. Hi, Andre. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm glad to, to hear about the Portuguese wine. And, uh, well, just uh, introduce myself and be here uh, for anything you need. I'm from Portugal, as you said, uh, currently working as a sommelier in a restaurant in Lisbon. And, well, I think better than me, Andre is here to, to teach all these people a little bit about our history, about our wine. And I'm here to listen as well, to learn as well. And very glad, very glad that you are speaking about the Portuguese one. So, go ahead, please. Uh, thank, thank you very, very much, Mark. Um, um, congratulations, Mark. Was actually uh, he won the uh, the prestigious uh, Sommelier of the Year award uh, just just recently, and a very well deserved uh, prize. And, and 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 all I have to do is thank you for the work that you do on on what is I I always say that restaurants are the biggest tasting room in the world. And the amount of work and the, the importance of the work that is done in restaurants to show wines to people so that people can discover them, uh, especially when that happens with experienced people who can show them and explain them what they're drinking. That's one of the most important jobs in wine, and I thank you for that. 
Thank you. Thank you, Andre. Yeah, apart from from the rest, uh, I try at least to make people happy and taste the maximum of wines and quality that we can show and try to do great wine pairing. This is our, our job and make people happy and comfortable with uh, with our food and wine. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much, much Mark. Uh, I think uh, we're going to keep you. We're going to keep you on stage, Mark, because you can probably put some extra input from time to time. And now we have Kieran. Kieran. Let's, uh, let's, uh, we, have, we have a few people that want to come up. So, Kieran, before, uh, before could you, we're going to try to get as many questions up here before Andre has to go. So please keep your intro question comment under 60 seconds. And uh, just want to make sure it's okay if Fabian records you because we're recording this for a podcast. If not, he'll, he will cut the recording right right now just uh, need your permission on that absolutely and uh, thanks for giving me a time limit i can i can wander um my go ahead go ahead my, my questions for andre and or mark um about upcoming regions um kind of a la um alta piemonte sort of thing where where um with climate change sort of and also just with the way that wine trends move um, if there's anything that's kind of growing in terms of interest, um, either regionally or uh, internationally um, for Portuguese wines, um, that's that's a great question. Uh, one, of course, we've been we've been seeing the revolution in Portuguese wine. The revolution in quality of Portuguese wine has been happening uh, in the last 20, 30 years, and 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 it keeps going. So every region has, um, apart from what we call now classics, uh, so 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 some of you have an idea. Uh, the, Douro table wine was born basically in the 90s. Of course, you have some wines before that, and Barcavella is one of the great examples of, of wines that were born be, before that. It was actually born in 1952, uh, but, it, but it, it was in the 90s that the revolution uh, on, on wine quality took over the Douro, and, and, and now we have some of the producers that were born uh, around that, uh, that time. I would say, answering directly to your question, uh, two of the regions that I think can bring us uh, some really interesting and they are up and coming. Some of them are, are traditional, but now they have producers who are putting them on the map in a different way. Uh, one of them, I would say, is um, is Bayrada. Bayrada has never been very, very well known, but you have producers now like Filipe Apatu uh, producing biodynamic wine in that region and making some of the most exciting wines in Portugal. And the other region, one of my favorites, and uh, one that I think is is getting uh, is now getting some of the recognition that it deserves. Sometimes is known as the the Burgundy of Portugal. That's not exactly correct, but it does show the direction that some of the producers are going in the region, and it's called Down. So D A O. And Down has a number of characteristics that make uh, that make it a very special um, region. Uh, the slow maturation of, of, of vines there, uh, of, 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 uh, of grapes there, actually allows the wines to be to have an elegance and a smoothness and and uh, an uh, an extra that uh, most of the other regions don't have. Down makes very very special wines, and I highly recommend people to check out what's coming out of the down. And you'll find again, you'll find um, uh, young producers, boutique producers, and you'll find. Uh, projects that are bigger, but are, they're also making extremely good wine of that region. And of course, as it happens so often with so many other regions, uh, it's it's a region that is still accessible to for the quality that is showing to the markets. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andre. Yeah, maybe so now we're going to jump down to Marco, which is with us. 
He was with us yesterday. Nice to have you again, Marco. Uh, just Hi, a quick guys. question. We are trying to record the audio. Is it okay with you sure. if we keep you? Okay, thank you very sure, much. thank you, Fabian. So, introduce um, yourself and jump in with your question. Try to keep it yeah, short because we have people in the line. Short. Much appreciated. I'll be very short because one of uh, the first question was actually about climate change. So thank you, Kieran and uh, Czech, let's uh, say. And um, so, uh, hi, Andre. I'm Marco. I'm Italian hey. and uh, I'm based in Dusseldorf, actually. Um, I just say that wine lover and passionate, uh, really passionate like everybody here. And... Uh, we actually, since a couple of months, we launched a small, small business here in Dusseldorf to um, to try to get some small and low intervention uh, wines from Italy, but uh, from everywhere, actually, um, to introduce it in the German market. And um, my question was about actually how do you see the, in Portugal the, the um, let's say, uh, young generation of uh, winemaking um, because I'm always very happy when I speak to also Italian producer that um, they have like uh, very young people that they are getting taking over the, the business and they're making new um, ideas they are putting in place new ideas um, the question was just uh, came up to my mind when you spoke about Amphora because I see recently that uh, there is let's say a recovery or of um, this very ancient tradition um, and I see that um, I think it's very, very important to keep it, uh, to bring it up um, again. And especially that young, young people, they, they can continue what their, um, you know, grand, grandfathers, grandparents and grand grandparents uh, did it for many years. So um, how is the situation in Portugal? Thank you, guys. And sorry, I just add this because I wanted to say yesterday as well. Uh, I wanted to thank uh, Matthew and Fabian because you guys moderate everything, all the rooms, because yesterday as well, from a very casual conversation, it was super insightful for me and very, very full of input. So thank you very much because it's very, very um, difficult to moderate a room and you do it very, very good. Thanks. Much appreciated. Thank you, Marco. <clears throat> and thanks for being on the rooms. I just want to... Uh, uh, also, the Sherry, the Sherry and Andre and Marco, yes, I am drinking uh, Vino Natalia, wine from M4 right now. It's in my profile pic. I also just want to pitch out, before we go to the next question, to our friend. Andre is actually supporting him as well. Our friend Simon Wolf, author of uh, Amber Revolution, How the World Lo Learned to Love Orange Wines, is launching a Kickstarter tomorrow about Portuguese wine called Foot Trotting. So go ahead and back him, and we'll bring, uh, we'll bring up Reggae. Reggae! If I'm pronouncing your name first, first uh, introduce yourself. Uh, question or may, comment? May I just uh, may I just answer the the previous question before we go? Um, go ahead, go sorry, ahead, go sorry, ahead. Break it. I just wanted to not, nothing actually shows a better where where Portuguese wine, the young Portuguese wine scene is going, than having a renowned uh, a journalist uh, like Simon Wolf write a book uh, on 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 what's happening in Portugal. And I think uh, from what I've seen so far, I think it's going to be one of the most interesting books. Uh, on the Portuguese wine scene, and not only he's going to cover some of the historic producers that are uh, maybe now are, are the, the the younger generation is taking over and doing things in a different way, uh, but he's also telling the stories of many of the of the young producers. Maybe they just started now, but they're making things in a different way. They don't have the legacy of of some of the older producers or the more traditional, and they're playing around and doing um, very. Um, very interesting things. I would just, I would just maybe uh, name one or two uh, people who are doing great work. Uh, many of you have heard, of course, of Luis Chiabra, 
Luis Chiabra is the winemaker that used to be uh, used to be at Nieport many years ago. He now has his own. He does some consulting, but he has his own brand. And he's he's the wines from Luis Chiabra are are definitely some of the some of the ones I would recommend in that direction of being uh, low intervention terroir uh, truthful. Uh, they're they're very very interesting on on what he's doing and he's gaining some recognition and starting to make uh, make wines elsewhere. Uh, another one, uh, just one last one, is a producer called Costa do Pinhão, so Quinta da Costa do Pinhão, and, and, and he's making wine in the Douro, and his wines, he's a young winemaker, definitely boutique in style, and his wines are some of the most delicious coming out of that region. Branquier, uh just a question, we want to know if it's okay if Fabian records you, because we're doing a podcast, if not, we can cut it out, it's fine. And please introduce yourself, question, comment, and please try to keep it, uh, you know, within 60 seconds. Sure, no problem at all. So, hi, my name is Brechtje, and it's, yeah, I think it's a difficult name to pronounce internationally, so Bridget is fine as well. Um, but it's the same for Portuguese wines, right? Because uh, it's such a beautiful language, but I'm struggling with it. Um, so I'm uh, I'm in Amsterdam, and I'm responsible for the wine buying of Metro in the Netherlands and also partly globally. Um, so um, yeah, just joined Clubhouse a week ago and uh, followed some topics on wine. And I saw this one, I was like, yeah, I have to jump in on Portuguese wines because we see there uh, is a lot of growth in popularity, but how can we lose the image of Portuguese, uh, Portuguese wine being uh, the more um, affordable wine when it comes to other wines from Spain, France or Italy? Um, thank you. Thank you for that question. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's of course, it, what happened in the past was that uh, it did, Portuguese wine didn't have the um, Maybe this, it was not as well known as it is now, and so of course, in terms of price, it suffered. Uh, some of the wines uh, now are—they um, have updated uh, their pricing, and so you can buy uh, more expensive wine, but you still have a lot of uh, producers who are selling uh, cheaper than than maybe they they should in terms of of, of branding, in terms of positioning. Uh, but I think it's a process; it's going to happen. Um, People like uh, like uh, like I just mentioned, Luis Chiabru. His wines are fairly priced for the quality that uh, that uh, that he's uh, he's making them with, uh, and it doesn't it doesn't uh, it's they're not cheap, uh, but they're accessible. And I think that's going you know it's it's going to happen more often. Of course, it all comes down, and you're a buyer, so you know that it all comes down that uh, when you're looking for an Encruzado or for for an Alvarinho. Uh, if it happens that that the kind of requests that producer have is for one euro fifty, two euro fifty kind of wines, uh, less and less you're going to find options that you like, and that's a good thing from the point of view of the pricing. Uh, the other thing is that um, fortunately, as you said, Portu Portuguese wine is trending, and you do see more journalists, more uh, wine lovers, more people talking about Portuguese wine, and that's going to raise the interest. You also see some more uh, higher end wines, and I think higher end wines. Have the ability to position Portugal in a in a very specific uh, uh, segment, and even if you're not buying the higher end wines, you're going to uh, mentally you're going to consider Portuguese wine to be higher quality because you do find fine wine in Portugal, and and so I think it's 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 going to happen sooner than later. Is it, it's going to happen that you see more producers uh, making sure that their wines are fairly priced. I totally agree with you, and I think there's a task uh, for of us wine buyers, but also other merchants of wine to to help 
in the branding of Portuguese wines. So uh, a lot of work to be done, but looking forward. I'm, I'm actually one of the things that uh, we at Adega have created. And for those of you who are not here in the beginning, Adega is, is the is the wine marketplace that uh, that uh, that I've created uh, many years ago, and and we run in Portugal and soon to be international also. One of the brands that we created on Adega is, is called Fine Portugal, and the idea of Fine Portugal is a category to include all the fine wine in Portugal. And by fine wine, I don't mean uh, wines that cost two thousand euros. That's that's not how it's positioned. But actually, to include all the wines above thirty thirty five euros that work with uh, with Portuguese varieties that have a positioning for Portuguese wine that actually. That in the mind of the, of people who drink fine wine, they think yes, Portugal makes fine wine, and here's a selection of the wines that I can fit into that category. And so, fine Portugal is a brand that we're going to work uh, uh, more and more in the future. Great, thank you so much. Thank, thank you very work. much. much I have to jump out Sorry. because I'm uh, I'm hosting another room, um, and tonight another international room as well about wine. So maybe if you want, you can follow me. Good luck and talk to you soon. Thank you very much. So now we're gonna jump to the next one, which is Chelsea. She is based in uh, where she was based Atlanta. In Atlanta. Yeah. So um, it's nice to have you around again. Uh, I'm just gonna ask you quickly: Are you okay if we record it? Because we're trying to get the audio to other people who couldn't join. That is absolutely fine with me. I just had a, a quick question. Perfect. For Go. Um, so Andre, in the Atlanta market, for the most part, all the Portuguese wines I see are blends. Are there any producers that are doing single varietal or extremely like classic traditional uh, varietal expressions that I could look for? Mm, definitely. So, so most of the producers now have at least one or two wines that is a hundred percent made from one of the varieties. Um, and I, I, any, any region has, I, depending on the style that you're looking for, any region will have producers that have those styles. Uh, as I said earlier, um, many of the winemakers now feel more confident in using uh, autochthonous varieties and making sure that, that they, are, they, are, they, they are proud and they show that they are proud of those wines. And often those wines are, are, are very exciting and they show a different side of the terroir because, of course, they, they show how the variety is adapted to that specific region. And uh, any of the producers that you look up in Portugal, um, maybe even, even for, uh, of course, from the bigger uh, producers to the small boutique uh, wineries, you'll find a number of, of, of wineries that have, or most of the wineries that have one or two wines that are, that are monovarietals. Awesome. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Thank you very much, Thank Chelsea. You Chelsea. for being on. Good. Shout out to the ATL. So now we are jumping to Francesco, which been also with us for a couple of days now. He is based in London. Uh, so come on stage, Francesco, open your mic and let us know if it's okay if we record you and introduce yourself and go with your question. Hi, Fabian. Hi, guys. Uh, it's very good to see you all. Um, I'm Francesco, I'm from uh, London and um, I'm the assistant general manager of the Harris Bar here. Um, I had a very quick question for 400. Uh, it's very good that you mentioned uh, Filippo Pazzo because I love her wines. And um, I was wondering, um, 
how digital is uh, actually helping the, the, the tourism, one tourism uh, that is going uh, is come to be uh, in Portugal and Portugal wines as well. You mean you mean in this uh, with this COVID era or before COVID? Uh, yes, with this COVID era. So, so wine tourism and, and of course restaurants have been one of the sectors more most affected uh, with the pandemic. Uh, it has also been unfortunate that it's it's a sector that has been named non-essential. Uh, it's it's especially in a country like Portugal where such a big part of the of the GDP uh, came from from tourism. Uh, the fact that suddenly restaurants had to be closed and had to try to find ways to subsist it has been it has has been really challenging for many and unfortunately a big percentage will be uh, will will close permanently uh, in in it has closed permanently or it will close permanently soon um, the the way digital has helped uh, is actually that some of the restaurants that were able to adapt quickly and more um, Uh, it, this has happened more, of course, in urban areas. They've adapted that they started using um, some of the services uh, like uh, self-delivery or uh, Uber Eats or Glovo or other uh, food delivery apps, or even using something simple as Instagram and posting what they're doing. And, and some of them actually have done um, quite well on on not on doing exactly what they were doing before, but on trying to find um, a bridge between what was happening before and, and maybe a, a new normal that is coming, we don't know when. Uh, but I think digital has been, uh, it's, a, it's a low cost um, uh, tool that, uh, that anyone can use, of course, to try to reach some clients and say, hey, we're still here, uh, how can we serve you? Uh, Mark can probably talk a little about, uh, about this in terms of, of fine dining. Uh, fine dining has been, of course, uh, severely affected by this you don't have the tourists uh, more people now in portugal we're actually in a in a in a confinement so we can restaurants are closed by law we cannot go to a fine dining restaurant now and of course fine dining is as much about the food as it is about the experience and not being able to do that it's a challenge so there's i don't, I don't think there's much that the digital can do uh when when something like fine dining is closed what do you think mark Well, right now, uh, as uh, uh, sommelier, I'm trying to to move a little bit as uh, you are doing to the digital uh, area and try to continuously uh, helping people with uh, with the digital market that we can we can found. But it's it's true. Uh, on my floor, I can do much more. On my floor, I am at home, and it's uh, what I used to do every day. So. One thing is you, that is, you are very prepared to do that in this moment. I'm not, and uh, at least I try in the small community, but it's true. Uh, till the restaurants that uh, we are used to have opened and they, like extend our knowledge to, to people will be very difficult. And we are talking about all Portugal is closed. Hey. Thank you for sharing the experience. Let's, uh, uh, Paul, uh, look, we have a couple more questions running up on time. I want to respect Andre's time, but Paul? I'm, you... I'm okay with uh, with extending my time. Okay, great. We have a few more questions of Paul, Laura, and Luciana. Paul, you want to go ahead first? Yeah, Andre, obviously climate change and rising temperatures um, yes. are an issue in, in various parts of the wine world, but... Um, Portugal in particular, I mean, I remember going to the Alentejo quite a few times and seeing some of the, the vines that were seriously, um, you know, stressed with lack of water. 
um, in, especially in the summer months. It, are, are, we, are we seeing investment in higher ground areas now? And, and what about some of these areas that maybe, you know, are, are just going to get hotter and hotter? What, what are producers doing in response? That's that's a great question, and so um, so the timing of that question is 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 superb. Of course, we're discussing uh, climate change now more than uh, than we've ever done. Um, it's something that more people are aware of than before. Uh, at the same time, uh, Portugal has has suffered from lack of water and and warming temperatures uh, for longer than climate change has been uh, in discussion. And and hotter, re- warmer regions like the Douro and like the Alentejo have suffered from that trend uh, way before we uh, we discuss climate change. And so, in a way, um, we actually started getting adapted. Uh, in two very different ways, uh, but we started getting adapted um, many years ago, and and what you see uh, at 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 this moment is uh, is a reflection of that experience period, and so you see a number of things. Uh, one thing that is happening is that, of course, as you mentioned, some wineries are buying uh, higher ground um, estates or plots. Uh, one region for one sub region that has been um, has been has seen a lot of movements movements in that uh, context is Porto Alegre, which belongs to Alentejo, but it's mostly higher ground. And so uh, even wineries that have never stepped outside their region, like the Simingtons, they've uh, they've acquired um, uh, states in Porto Alegre. Uh, Dirk Niport just, uh, just announced that he's doing a project in Porto Alegre. Spurão is doing a project in Porto Alegre. And so definitely they're moving upper. Um, um, and of course, in the Douro, you do see most of the white wines, uh, the high quality white wines are coming from uh, the upper part of the uh, of the mountains of the Douro. But you, Portugal has uh, one other advantage that is uh, that also allows us to explore different things in terms of climate change, which is the Atlantic proximity. Uh, uh, all, all, uh, all, all next to the Atlantic coast, there's a heavy influence, of course, of the, uh, of the, of the ocean. And so many winemakers are playing around with uh, how, 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 do they, how, how do they make wines in that region that can, at the same time, um, um, of course, play down the, 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 the warmer side of the region with the influence of the, of the sea. But at the same time, before, maybe that region was too, too cool. And now it's warming up a little bit and making uh, very interesting wines. Lisboa is, uh, is a great example of that. Uh, and, and you do see a, a different side of Alentejo again from north like Porto Alegre to the seaside, um, maybe 200 kilometers below Lisbon, you do see the Atlantic, um, the Costa Vicentina, uh, where where you have producers making wines there that are fresher than anywhere else in the Alentejo. The other, the other part of the answer to that question is research. There's nothing, there's nothing better than, of course, knowing from what was being done before and you learn that for people who are the previous generations that passed the knowledge and the doru is exquisite in that that we have 300 years of knowledge of how to make wines in a warm region and one of the things you see happening right now is that uh, some of the big bigger port houses are exploring working with uh, more resistant kind of or fresher sometimes kind of uh, varieties you'd be surprised to know that alicante boucher original from france very adapted to the alentejo is now being used to to make fresher styles of port uh and you see also um a variety like vignon in vigno verde known as sozão in the Douro, also being used because of the higher acidity freshness 
uh, that brings to the blends. And you do see you, you, the, the weather is getting warmer and some of the ports are getting fresher. And that's kind of an interesting scene to see coming out of port. Uh, it, younger port is more drinkable more drinkable than it, it was ever uh, in the past. And so it's exciting that you can try a younger port now and see, oh, I can drink this, I love this. It's actually fresh and there's pleasure in that. The other thing, of course, is research, proper research. And there's a number of uh, institutions uh, funded by some of the bigger companies like Sograp and like the Symingtons doing research and trying to understand uh, uh, what kind of varieties are more resistant. Some of that research has passed our borders. And as I mentioned earlier, Toriga Nacional is now accepted as a variety to be planted in Bordeaux. Um, and, and you see Toriga Nacional all over the planet now from Australia to, to California. And, and actually, research is the most important part of this discussion because uh, it's, it's, it has been allowing producers to move. As we know, the cycle of, of, of vine growing uh, is one of the longest. And, and we need to do things years in advance to make sure that, we, uh, that we're not uh, caught off, off guards uh, in the next 10 years. And so it's interesting that Portugal, yes, it's, uh, it should be in a way more prone to climate change. Uh, but in another way, it has been adapting for, for decades and it's now better positioned actually to help others um, uh, prepare for what's coming ahead. Great. Let's, uh, thanks. Thanks, Paul, for that. Yeah, That's no, thank good. you. Uh, Laura, let's, uh, we have a time for a couple more questions. Laura, uh, first, is it okay to record you and, and introduce yourself? Good to see you again question or comment in uh, 60 seconds please absolutely brilliant yes i'm fine with being recorded and thank you for hosting this discussion i'm in the boston market and i'm a wine student and my last big trip abroad was actually to portugal so i feel really bad to have um, ignored portuguese wine for so long because the last few red wines that i've tasted out of out of Portugal have been dead ringers for nebbiolo so for those of, in your audience who are listening and like northern italian alps style wine i i just i mean if i had tasted this blind i would have thought it was a nebbiolo and, and if those if there are folks in the audience who are into like aromatized wine and amaro or vermouth i mean some of the whites coming out of portugal right now have this beautiful graceful you know savory herb and spice um finish that's just gorgeous um, so kudos, big kudos to Portuguese winemakers right now. Um, as a consumer, what can I do to continue spreading the word about Portuguese wine? Um, you can continue doing what you just did, which is to explain uh, Portuguese wine in the context that so many other consumers already understand. When you mention Nebbiolo, and of course Nebbiolo in Portugal, you can find an affinity uh, probably with Bairrada and with the variety Baga. Um, um, it, it's, some, 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 sometimes Portuguese uh, winemakers don't like to describe their wines compare, compared to other wines in the world. I actually think it's a good thing, uh, especially because some, some of the wines are so hard to pronounce or there's, there's so many varieties that, that people uh, uh, need to, to know how to pronounce or need to understand or recognize when they read that I, I have no problem comparing um, or putting Portuguese wine in the same level of something that is more well-known. And, and of course, uh, in the U.S., um, um, uh, Italian wine and French wine are so more well-known than Portuguese that if, 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 if the Portuguese wine 
can can be described with some of the best qualities and characteristics of Italian wine, I think that's great. And so when you ask as a consumer, what can you do? I actually explain like that. When I say something like Dão is, is the Burgundy of, uh, of Portugal, I don't, I don't want to imply uh, uh, anything in terms of positioning or in terms of pricing, nothing like that. I just want to say that the kind of elegance, the kind of freshness that you get um, in, in the Dão, uh, sometimes reminds us of what you can find in uh, Burgundy compared to Bordeaux or compared to other regions. And so I think the best thing to do is actually to, to do these kind of analogies that help other people get interested in Portuguese wine. Thank, thank you, you very much. That, thank you very much. So I think now we are going to our last uh, guest who joined the stage. It's Luciana, which you know well. Luciana, are you okay to be recorded? Did you have any question or any point you wanted to raise to Andre before we let him go and he can probably go to drink a glass of port or something? <laughs> yes, first, <laughs> first I want to apologize for the audio. I'm driving the Pacific Northwest in the US, so I'm in the car driving and listen to you guys. I have a question to Andre. My name is Luciana Bryce. If you don't know me, I'm from the Wine Talk group. And I would like to, Andre, to talk a little bit about food and wine pairing. Because when people think about port wine, most people think about chocolate and pastel de nata. And I do believe port wine is brilliant with Asian food and spicy food and Mexican food. And I want you to talk a little bit about how versatile or what you think of port wine and food. Thank you, Luciana. It's great to hear you and great to know that you're one of the most beautiful uh, sides of the world driving a Pacific North uh, Highway. Um, that's that's one of my favorite subjects. I think that's one uh, answering, uh, going back to Laura's question um, just before yours, Luciana. Uh, the idea that, that what, what can consumers do, what can uh, Portuguese wine ambassadors, everyone who spoke here who's been promoting Portuguese wine is a Portuguese wine ambassador, what can you do to promote Portuguese wine? And I think one of the, the, the languages that people understand and are more interested in is the food languages, the gastronomy language. And, and definitely there's, there's, there's something always that can be done. The, one of the advantages of Portugal having this rich diversity of wines and varieties and soils and, and regions is that there's always some wine that can pair with, with the, the, your favorite food in your own country. And actually taking the example of, of the United States, uh, two, 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 uh, two styles of food that I think can find great matches in Portuguese wine. Uh, one is, as you said, Asian food, and Asian food, of course, is, is it means nothing uh, because there are so many different styles of Asian food. But if we think of, of, of all these complexity of flavors and sometimes sweet and sour and sometimes uh, spicy and sometimes all these different things, the fact that you can find in Portugal some some uh, some wines uh, like Alvarinho that we mentioned and like Arinto uh, with a level of acidity that allows those wines to combine almost perfectly uh, and 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 make make a better meal when you're enjoying them with that those those kind of foods uh, is one of one of the one of the things that we can easily anyone who tries an encruzado with some seafood or an alvering with some seafood or with some Asian food will find out that's that's a, that's an easy pairing it it almost always works and so 
definitely give it a try. The other, um, uh, again, staying in the US and thinking about something very popular, I've done that test myself uh, two years ago in a, in, a, in a big trip in the US, which is to, wh what do you pair with tacos? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm as, as someone who loves food and loves wine, I have no problem uh, pairing high-end wines uh, with what some people think it's, um, is food that is cheap and accessible. I have no problem doing that. I love that food and I love that wine, so I pair them both together and I love the meal anyway. Um, and I think tacos has an experience that has, again, all these spices uh, and all these flavors and all these uh, chards. Um, um, sides of the meat and all that is again another combination that that pairs beautifully with the fruits of some of the red wines or with the with the um with the acidity of some of the of, of some of the white wines and so there's 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 plenty you can do that but as luciana said if you really want to go wild on those kind of pairs and you want to try what you can pair with port uh, of course, you know if you want pear chocolate and port, or just have port on your own, and, and that's 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 perfect. But if you want to really see the kind of, of of you know go to the edge of some of those pairings, if you want to try to do Asian food with a ten year old Tony, uh, and you'll see because of course the the Tony has some of the sweetness, but it also has the acidity to balance that. And when you add that, the spiciness of the of the dish, you have one of the most amazing pairings on earth. And you'll have an experience. Of course, you're drinking um, uh, a, a wine that has um, um, almost double the percentage of alcohol that you have on a, on a white wine, especially if you're used to Vigno Verde that is around you know 11%, and then you have a port that might be around 20. Uh, but 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 if you think of that and you have a chilled 10-year-old uh, white or Tony, uh, you can have a white port. They're delicious too. And you can find some that are actually quite dry instead of sweet. Uh, but if you have one of those two and you pair with uh, with Asian food, you'll have one of the best pairings of your life. Um, and of course, uh, I mentioned earlier, um, if, if, if you don't have access to a, to a vintage port, uh, an older vintage port, uh, that maybe 20 or 30 year, uh, years of, of aging of vintage port, which is one of the great uh, wine experiences of the world. But if you can drink a, a younger vintage port or a more accessible, you can try an LBV, a late bottle vintage, uh, which are often way more cheaper than vintage uh, port, but they many have uh, have closer to the same quality of vintage port. You'll have uh, uh, one of the the best delicacies uh, coming out of Portugal. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. Thank you very much. No, thank you. So I I just wanted to say uh, that we did a little bit more than expected, but uh, I. We try to respect your time, Andre, and you said you were good with the little extra, but I don't think we're going to keep you longer. I'm sure you have plenty of work still. I just wanted to mention that if people want to get some wine advice, you can always contact Andre on Instagram. And if you want to have a, an easy list, he's been releasing in December of 2020, uh, a list of hot 100 Portuguese wines, which are on all level of pricing so you got some very cheap wines and you get some high-end wines and you get some explanations very basic so feel free to go and check this out and the idea just to add to that thanks for sharing that list the idea for for sharing that list is that i'm not recommending the best wines of portugal uh some of of, of course some of them could be included in a, in a list like that i'm i'm 
I'm including a, I'm doing a list of, of the most drinkable, the ones that you open right now, you're going to have a lot of pleasure trying. And of course, there you'll find wines with uh, with so many of the varieties that we, we, we spoke about today. And, it, and it's a list that I think it's a great starting point to start discovering Portuguese wine. Thank you so much, Andre. It was good to connect again. Guys, we'll thanks be, for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, we'll be hosting a lot of rooms. Fabian, tell them about our next big guest. Fourth uh, of March, we're gonna have Aini Zakariasin, who's the founder of Vivino. We're gonna have a full hour Q and A question. So if you're around, if you want to jump in, whether you're a producer, wine lover, or anyone else uh, who loves uh, wine and tech and all this, feel free to jump in. Also, Paul, uh, we're going to be hosting uh, wine writer, scientist Jamie Good. Paul's going to be leading the interview. That's coming up on what date, Paul? Uh, that is on Tuesday, the 23rd. And Sunday with uh, me, we're going to be exploring Croatian wines. I did write the only English dedicated guide to Croatian wines. A lot of people a holiday in Croatia. I'll be answering Q&As on Sunday at 7.30. So uh, also right now I'll be heading over to a, a wine room based on white blends, which uh, happens a lot in Portugal. Fabian, you want to add anything? No, I'm good. Thank you very much for being, who's been joining. Just remember when you come uh, on Clubhouse, I see a few guys with the party hats. Feel free to fill up your bio because it, the algorithm will help you and make sure like, for example, if you're interested in two wine to follow about 25 people in the wine niche so you will get relevant room coming up as notification and in your feed i think that's pretty much all for today thank you, thank you very guys. much everyone thank you very much for have having a lovely me. evening and Obrigado. hopefully Obrigado. drink some portuguese wines Obrigado. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. thank you very much have a nice day thank you take care everybody we'll see you soon fabian we'll close down